and I get the opportunity to, to, to pray for you guys. So uh, Chatan said, well, why don't you share how, how we got to know each other? And I honestly can't remember how Chatan and I met. Um, but what I do remember is that my wife and I used to live up in Scotland and Chatan uh, drove with me to Scotland to help us move house um, uh, from Winchester to Scotland and uh, kind of stay connected all through that time um, and has been a, a friend for many years uh, because of that. And I think kind of the investment of that is one of those things. So, uh, and Joy, I've got to know because of chatter. Sorry, Joy. <laughs> uh, so, guys, let me just pray for you. So, Heavenly Father, I just want to pray for your words to be spoken today through these guys. Um, allow them to, to share what your heart is. Uh, and, Lord, may we as a congregation have ears to hear what it is that you want to share with us. And so, Father God, be a blessing. May they be blessed by this time, and may they be, they be a blessing to us as well. Bless you guys. Good morning. Good morning. Um, the problem with these mics is you'll probably see my hand trembling while I speak. <laughs> uh, before we start, I haven't actually asked permission to do this because I thought that maybe just asking forgiveness would be better. But. Um, <laughs> If we want to get the... <laughs> so this, this special couple celebrated a 25th wedding anniversary this week. And um, I just wanted to take an opportunity to honor them just the last three months when they filled in some very big pairs of shoes uh, with Nigel and Joe away. And I just wanted to take an opportunity to honor them and to thank them for that. And then I just wanted to take a chance to pray for the marriages in the church. So if you don't mind uh, indulging me while I do this. But Father, I just want to thank you so much for the incredible gift of marriage. And for some of us who have been married for 25 years and many, many more than that. And for some of us that are still fresh on the journey. I really just pray protection over the marriages in this church. I pray your blessing over the marriages in this church. I pray, Father, for adventure in the marriages of this church. And Lord, I pray for those that have um, been hurt and heartbroken over marriage. I pray that you'll just bring incredible healing and wholeness and restoration um, over all those people that have been hurt or damaged by marriages. But Lord, I really pray that Winchester Vineyard would just be a testament of your goodness for marriages and that you'll help us to set an example um, in the community. Amen. Thank you. Right, so my name is Joy. I'm obviously married to this hunky man next to me. It's taken, sorry, ladies. You didn't tell me you were going to say that. <laughs> uh, we have three children, Hannah, Elizabeth, and Micah. And um, I work in the office doing lots of um, general admin stuff with my esteemed colleague, Alison. And I'm also Nigel and Joe's PA, which... Um, I'm not going to lie, the last three weeks or three months has been rather easy. <laughs> but if you could pray for me from October onwards, I think <laughs> we're going to hit the ground running when they come back. But, um, and Chatone works for Vodafone uh, full time. And yeah, we live in Romsey. So, do you want to start? Yeah, I can start. Go ahead. So, um, uh, this year we've been on a theme called Renew. Uh, which is all about renewing ourselves and our relationship to God um, and each other. And in September, we started a new sermon series called Back to Basics. 
and looking at the book of Nehemiah and how it helps us reset ourselves at the start of this academic year. Nehemiah is one of my favorite books. It's brilliant. Um, so whilst I don't want to recap everything, uh, you can watch them on YouTube. We have a YouTube channel. It's quite amazing. Um, there are some things that really stood out for me. So a couple of weeks ago, Paul started looking at Nehemiah 1, um, and he talked about the significance of the wall to Jerusalem, and by not having a wall, um, it made its people, the Israelites, vulnerable to attack. Um, and he talked about the shame that came with being that kind of exposed to the nations around it, because it had been invaded, and it had been... Um, uh, the people had been exiled, and so there was a, a level of shame that, um, of not being able to defend yourselves. And Paul talked about how Nehemiah, how, sorry, how God stirred Nehemiah's heart to build a wall, and he asked the question, what breaks our heart? You see, in chapter 1, we see that uh, Nehemiah mourned when, he, when God turned, stirred his heart, and it was that mourning that didn't just impact his heart, it impacted his hands, which were stirred to action, and it impacted his head and his wallet. And in mourning this week, we've seen people travel to London and queue for many hours to pay respects to Queen Elizabeth II. You know, we saw people whose hearts were stirred to, to cause people to, go, to move in action. And then last week, uh, Anna, who's gone out, yeah, um, she spoke on Nehemiah 2, and uh, she's talking about, uh, there was a, a lot of content in there. It's really good. I'm going to pick out the things that I really felt God was saying. One was, she talked about how Nehemiah was patient and how even though God stirred his heart, he had to wait four months before uh, he had an opportunity to do something about it. But he didn't waste that time. He was, he was uh, diligent in his waiting and he used it as preparation time, knowing that God was going to do something. Uh, he talked about Nehemiah being tactful and how Nehemiah knew that the king, King Artaxerxes, had this... Um, this uh, a problem with Jerusalem. It was one of his trigger words. And so when he asked for his help, he didn't use the name Jerusalem, but, he's, but, um, but yet the, he was able to get the help from the king himself. Um, and then Nehemiah, when he went to Jerusalem and looked at the wall, he recognized the dire situation that he was in. And I use this phrase, radical candor, which I've never heard before, which is brilliant, which is bringing a forthright uh, honesty into a situation in order to help bring things forward. So we're going to be looking at Nehemiah 3 this morning. Um, and when I first looked at it, chat and asked uh, if I had read it yet. And so I read the first three or four verses, which basically goes something along the lines of, and the Smiths built next to the Browns, who built next to the other family, but nobody wanted to build next to the Joneses because nobody could kick up with them. <laughs> and so I decided that there was probably two ways that we could look at this. The one was for me to read it out um, aloud now, and you would either fall asleep or fall off your chair laughing while I tried to pronounce all the names. Uh, so we went for the second option, which is a graphic representation of Nehemiah chapter three. Uh, so all the little green uh, squares are the verses that relate to the relative names uh, and all the different sections that they were um, building the wall. So Nehemiah 3, it basically encapsulates all the families involved in rebuilding the wall of Jerusalem, where they're built, what they're built, who they're built alongside. Um, sometimes there was little nuggets of information like their trade, what they were doing. So we had goldsmiths and merchants and perfumers. I'm thinking that um, the goldsmiths probably weren't used to working with such large rocks. 
And when reading Nehemiah, there's a, a lot of information. And I'm sure that well, myself in particular, when I first time I read through it, it's not really stuff that's going to change my life today. But there's a few things that uh, Chat and I really felt Nehemiah did really well that we want to pull out of this chapter. And there's a few things that we think we can do differently now, especially as we have relationship uh, with the Father through Jesus. So the first thing, uh, if you want to change the, oh, we've got the change slide clicker. There we go. The first thing is Nehemiah chapter 3, verse 1. It says, Eliashib the high priest and his fellow priests went to work and rebuild the sheep gate. They dedicated it and set its doors in place, building as far as the Tower of the Hundred, which they dedicated, and as far as the Tower of Hanel. So the first person to be mentioned in Nehemiah chapter 3 is the priest. It's a leader. And we think this is really significant to note, that it was the priests and the leaders that set the tone, set the example. Uh, they weren't afraid to get their hands dirty, to be in amongst the people, working with the people, building the kingdom. And leaders, they set the tone for people to follow. They set the example uh, for people to follow. And although that in, in this obviously particular section they were doing something physical, building a physical wall, in the same sense we build in uh, a kingdom, an everlasting kingdom. And uh, to a large degree we've all got a calling of leadership on our lives. We might not be leading life groups or leading a church, but we all lead in our families, um, we lead in our kids, husbands are leading your, your wives and your families, you lead leading in the workplaces, in businesses, teachers are leading in classrooms. We all have a level of leadership on our lives and uh, we're called to set the tone where we work. Anna last week, she talked about setting the, the thermostat where we are. And as leaders, that's what we're called to do. As Christians, that's what we're called to do, to set the, set the tone, set the, the thermostat. The other thing that the priests did is they dedicated the work that they were doing. Um, some translations say that the work was consecrated. And the reason that we would consecrate something or we would dedicate something to the Lord is because we want to mark it as something special. It's something unique and it's something that's holy. And the work that we do, there's a, there's a uniqueness and a holiness and there's something special about it because we're Christians and because of the uh, authority and the weight that we carry. And so for some of us, it, it looks really exciting, like wiping snotty noses and doing football runs, uh, which is kind of where I'm at at the moment. And for others, it might be uh, sales and marketing in the workplace. For others, it might be looking after grandchildren. But um, the work that we're doing every single day is special and it's, it's consecrated and we need to dedicate it to God um, because it's, it's building the kingdom and it's extending the kingdom and it's bringing the kingdom to, to heaven, uh, to earth, sorry. Um, and in Romans 12, verses one, it talks about how we are called to be living sacrifices. And that's something that the priests were doing by dedicating the work, they were sacrificing it and they were being living sacrifices uh, for the kingdom. The second thing is working together. So if you look at verses 6 to 12 in particular, we see a list of people all working alongside one another. And they had two main things in common. The first thing is none of them were working uh, in their professions. So none of them were builders, brick masons, is that what you call them? I should know this, my brother-in-law is one. Um, Bricklayer, there we go. None of them were bricklayers. 
Um, and the second thing is they all made themselves available for the work. So Nehemiah talks about, you know, the family made themselves available for the work. This family made themselves available for the work. And if you cast your eye across the whole of Nehemiah chapter 3, it's all about work. It's how they work together. It's how they worked alongside one another. It's how they encourage each other and how they built uh, and worked together to, to build the wall. And... Um, it's very easy to look at church and to church life and either think it, say it, uh, whether it's consciously or I'm pretty sure it's subconsciously because we're good Christians. Um, but we look at it and we think, well, the, the work needs to be done by the church staff because that's what they're there for or somebody else will pick up the work, somebody else will pick up the slack. But I really wanted to encourage you today to be like the families in Nehemiah that make yourselves available, make yourselves ready to, to get into the work and, um, yeah, the, the people in, in Nehemiah chapter 3, they really, they got stuck in. And they got stuck in with things that weren't necessarily their professions or their calling. And probably a lot of them were very much out of their comfort zones, um, getting sort of blisters on your fingers while you're picking up all the rocks. But I want you to just stop and think for a minute how incredible it must have felt to look back after a day's work and see this wall that they had built and in the same way, when we serve in the church and when we get involved, there's such an incredible benefit and reward when we look back and see what it is that God's um, got us involved in, and we can look back and see the reward. Uh, my, um, my mom and I often joke about who's going to have the biggest diamond in their crown in heaven. And, and that's really what we're working for. There's, there's an eternity in the, in the things that we set our hands to when we're here. And so I'm sure it comes as absolutely no surprise to you that it takes a small army to run Winchester Vineyard Church. And practically there is kids and there's coffee and there's sound and there's hosting, there's life groups, there's prayer groups. And I really just wanted to encourage you guys this week to, to get involved, to make yourself available, to get onto a team if you're not. It's such an incredible blessing to be involved in a team just to make yourselves available. Um, yeah, there's loads, loads of rotors. Come have a chat to Louise or Katie or myself, and we will, with such incredible delight, get you involved in building the wall at Winchester Vineyard Church. The final thing was the, the word repairs appears 35 times, and Nehemiah is only 32 verses. So I thought maybe that was something important. And when we have a look at 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 11 and Ephesians 4 and 1 Peter 2 verses 5, they're all passages of scripture calling us to build one another up, to repair, to, to make good, um, to walk in, in manners that are worthy of our calling. And just like those in Nehemiah 3 who are called to, to build the wall of Jerusalem, we are called to walk in our calling, which is to build God's kingdom. And um, there's something incredibly precious and permanent in the work that we do as we build God's kingdom and we're equipping God's bride. Over to Handsome. Thank you for the intro. <laughs> okay, um, so it says in verse 5, it says, The next section was repaired by the men of Tekoa, but the nobles would not put their shoulders to the work under their supervisors. So most of the Israelite people worked 
and got stuck in, but not everybody did. The nobles, who were the leaders of a nearby town, would not help. The Hebrew phrase that they use for putting their shoulders literally means to bend their necks, to lower themselves, to bow and submit. Now, maybe it's because they didn't like manual labor or because they didn't know what they were doing and didn't want others to see that they didn't know what they were doing. Maybe they didn't trust Nehemiah, who, although he was an Israelite, he wasn't a man with a title. He was a cupbearer. He wasn't a man with an Israelite title. And yet he suddenly started telling people what to do. They were the ones who were the leaders, and they were the ones who used to give in the orders that were being followed. Or maybe they were comfortable um, and they didn't see the problem because they didn't live in Jerusalem. They were leaders of a nearby town. The wall in Jerusalem wasn't their problem. You know? Hashtag not my problem. You know? So um, didn't really impact their security. I do think it's telling that in the whole of Nehemiah 3, which is all about building and working and working together, that there's this one verse that mentions by name those who chose not to help. It's as if God is saying, I've anointed and sent someone to help you, and I can see you're choosing not to listen. I was speaking to a friend this week who was a senior professional who goes to a church up north, and we were lamenting about how, our, how busy our lives were. He with his work, and I with, uh, with the three kids, with the dog, with work, drinking coffee. Um, and he said to me recently that he'd been asked to join their coffee team. And he agreed, although he felt it was a bit of a waste of time and his skills, a bit of a waste of his skills in particular. However, he realized after doing it how much he enjoyed it. The social interaction, the team banter, the discussions, helping one another. And he was saying how the isolation in lockdown, when he was heavily locked down, um, put him in a place where slowly other more important activities such as family, such as career, such as his home, took him away from the social aspect of being part of a church community and a church family. Being a place where he was serving rekindled the joy and the responsibility of being part of that family. And looking rationally, and I'm quite a rational person, so looking rationally, there'll always be more important activities than serving. When you look at it in terms of your time, there will always be more important things. But it's the unpredictability of doing life with people who you don't get to choose that will bring a freshness and a different perspective into your life. I mean, I, I love serving, whether it's leading a life group, and yes, I don't get to pick who comes to my life group, um, whether it's being part of the Sunday AV team, Sunday AV team, or as you saw this morning, which I didn't realize I was doing, was grabbing a pink sponge and helping park cars. And I do have favorite cars as well, just so you know. Um, I think doing it with cheerfulness brightens both God and the people I'm serving. And just like Joyce said earlier, we do need people on a Sunday, whether it's to raise the next generation like Katie said last week, uh, or help people enter worship by the words that come up on the, on the screen behind me, or helping to park cars so they get hit by the youth who are playing outside. You know? So if you're not involved, come and get involved. Okay. How are we doing? Are we all right? Thinking about it. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. I know we've gone back one too many. There we go. Right. Okay. So, um, just to expand on something Joy said earlier, in in verse eight, you hear about these people who are goldsmiths and perfume makers 
who made repairs. I tried to read this scripture last night, and I couldn't get the names right. So I'm just not going to bother. You can read it. Um, But many of the people who built the wall were not builders by trade or profession. Some had labor experience, but some had skills completely irrelevant to the task in hand. I see a perfume maker akin to somebody who's a beautician and a goldsmith as somebody who works at Jeremy France Jewelers selling a nice expensive Rolex. Um, But that didn't stop them getting involved. Uh, You see, when it comes to building a wall around a city, attitude is more important than aptitude. Being available and willing and humble meant that God could use you and in Nehemiah, God used him. God, God did use him. An attitude is a choice. Being available for God's work, irrespective of what's involved, is more important than needing to operate out of profession and training. That's not to demean skills or talent. They are important, and where possible, we should use them. And God will hold us to account for the talents that we have been given, he says in Matthew 25. But sometimes, we just need to get stuff done. Um, as a father of girls, I've got two girls and a boy, uh, I, never th- I was never taught how to put on a girl's dress or a skirt or play with dolls or go to a tea party or, in Hannah's case, who's my eldest, generate so much art from painting, drawing, cutting and sticking. I can <laughs> People recognize that, yeah, they, they can appreciate that. Um, but I do love helping them, even if I don't know what I'm doing. It's not something I ever really wanted to learn or ever would choose to learn, and it would be easy to get Joy to do it because she had a sister, and she's a girl, obviously. Um, and, but actually, most of the time, it's fun. And who knows, maybe it might be useful one day in the future. Maybe. <laughs> They're not here, so I can say that, right? But, um, but the purpose isn't really to help, actually. Helping is secondary. The purpose is to build relationship. And Nehemiah's case, it was with God, And in my case, it's with my girls. And I've come to realize that both Hannah and Elizabeth love when I help. Um, Even, and sometimes I'm sure they don't really need my help. And it's um, because they want the relationship and the help is secondary to that. And our children, my children, will learn their aptitude from school, from education, from experience. But I believe a lot of their attitude comes from us as parents. And our attitude should ultimately point them to God. Jesus washed his disciples' feet, not because he needed to, but because he was explaining the real purpose of him being here, one of true friendship, which ultimately led him to the cross. Cool, we're nearly there, don't worry. Um, Okay, so I've, I've highlighted so far some of the key areas in Nehemiah 3. We've talked about how, Joy talked about how the priests led by examples and how they worked together to build the wall around Jerusalem. Uh, I talked about there was a certain people that were not willing to help, weren't willing to get their hands dirty. Um, and I've talked about how people made themselves available to do any task that was necessary to get, this, get the job done. But there's a fundamental problem with the book of Nehemiah which needs to be addressed especially in the light of the points in Nehemiah 3, but also in the, in the Old Testament. You see, the book of Ezra and Nehemiah was all about rebuilding the temple, the wall, and then consecrating themselves so that the presence of God would come. That was the reason they were doing it. And they wanted him to inhabit the temple like he did when it was originally built by King Solomon in 1 Kings chapter 8. But they built all this, they got the wall done, they got the temple done, they consecrated themselves... And the presence didn't come. Um, 
And very quickly, they went back to their old ways of living for themselves and their own benefit. And, from, and if you look at chapter 13 of Nehemiah onwards, uh, you start to hear Nehemiah use this phrase, remember me for this, my God, as if to say, I've done what you've told me. These people are not listening and they've gone back to their sinful ways. But remember me because I did what you said. Um, he was almost as if he was saying, I'm not responsible for their outcome. And the thing is, this wall that they built um, was destroyed in 70 AD, which is about 40 years after Jesus was crucified. And Jesus actually told us it was going to happen in, in the book of Mark. And it's been rebuilt three times. So there is a wall there today. It's not the wall that Nehemiah built. Um, and it's a symbolic example of upside-down thinking that if we perform, then God will be pleased and he'll choose to dwell. And Nehemiah... Is, a, is about a community of trying to bring the presence of God by doing the right thing, by doing good works, and it just didn't work. So the solution to this problem was Jesus, who came to earth and died on the cross for our sin. God made a promise that he would change our hearts and bring help in a way he originally wanted, by bringing a relationship with him. And because of this, as Christians, we are in a right relationship with God. And when Jesus ascended to heaven in Acts 1, um, we hear in Acts 2 that the presence of God came to earth to dwell within us, and we call it the Holy Spirit. And it's the presence that the Israelites so badly wanted. It terrified evil, it brought security to the Jerusalem, and it showed the whole world who God's preferred people was. They needed the presence to come, and he didn't. But we have the presence who now lives inside of us because of Jesus. Um, and it's from that place, from that presence that we have, that we can serve. God says that he is building his church. He, said, he told Peter, I am building my church in Matthew, Matthew 16. We don't build the church, he builds it. We serve, he builds. Um, so it's not about us performing to impress or to worry about what it's going to look like, but it's about us collaborating and co-laboring with God to serve. And that is ultimately what he always wanted. Even in Genesis, he wanted us, he walked in the garden, we walked in the garden and we walked with him and we tended the garden with him. It wasn't about him and us, it was about us co-laboring together. And it's a clear picture of what he wants the church to look like. And that's what the church is supposed to be. Um, and I've put Acts 2 up there and I'm going to talk about that because that is what the church is meant to look like. I feel like this is the picture of what God said he wanted the church to look like and what the early church did. Um, and I could spend a lot of time unpacking this. But I'm not. Don't worry. I'm not going to spend a long time packing this because that, I think that's for another day. But I think the conversations I've had with people in this church over the last few months whilst I've been here, well, last three years we've been here, is that this is the kind of church that they want Winchester Vineyard to be. Um, and looking at this, there are three very clear distinctive things that I'm going to bring out, talk about very quickly, and then you can go away and work out the rest about how we get to this thing. And the first one is in verse 38, where Peter said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for your forgiveness of sin. See, the church is, built, is all about Christians. So all about, it starts with people who love God. And Acts, Acts tells us that the first action of being in close, 
close relationship with each other is accepting Jesus because Jesus forgives us for our sins, which means that we can let our sins go, and he sets our identity. He determines who we are, not we, which means that we don't need to perform because he's telling us who we are in our identity. And if you're not a Christian today and you don't know Jesus today and you want the community that God talks about in Acts 2, you need Jesus, to be blunt. And we'll have some time to pray later. Um, The second thing that he talks about, so the first one is surrender and accept Jesus. The second thing is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. It says in verse 38, 39, that you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Um, And it's the Holy Spirit in us that changes us and gives us the power to carry out the things that God wants us to do. We think that we can do it in our own power, but at some point you are going to get to your limit if you try and do it in your own power, in your own strength. It's Jesus and the Holy Spirit that helps us through and do things that we never thought we could do. Um, It says in Romans 8 verse 11, it said, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, who raised Christ Jesus from the dead, will also give life to your mortal bodies through this spirit who dwells in you. Imagine that power that raised Jesus from the dead living in you and what it could do with you if you fully embraced. Um, so there you go. Surrender and accept Jesus. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. And the third one is that they listened. Um, it says in 2.42, one, one of my favorite verses in the whole of the Bible, it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And we listen to God in three ways. There are very three clear, three clear ways in that verse about how we hear from God. One is we pray. Um, and prayer is just having a conversation with God, two-way conversation with God. We've made it sound religious, but actually it's just talking to God and listening. That's all it is. Um, and we need to take that back and say we want to make it personal. So whatever way you need to pray, pray. You just need to hear to God and speak to God. That's what prayer is. Um, the second is through the word of God. They devoted themselves to the, uh, the teaching. Um, the Bible is the easiest way to hear from God uh, and to hear the voice of God. And the third one is to listen through his people. So it talks about to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to, uh, and to prayer. But God puts people around us. We are never meant to do this journey ourselves. And he'll speak through um, it'll speak through them to us too. So for Winchester, uh, to find people in Winchester Vineyard who you trust, who you admire, and give them to permission to speak into your life. Let them be honest with you and be honest with them and be vulnerable with them. And do it over food because that's there as well, right? So, Right, so uh, we've got a, a tiny challenge today. And um, my challenge today is when looking at Nehemiah 3, it's where has God put you to build? Do you need to make some changes or better position yourself to be available to build? Or is God moving you to, to be building somewhere else? And we all have incredibly unique gifts that God has given us uh, that is really important for building the kingdom of God. And um, one of mine is administration. And it took me a very long time to realize that actually uh, that's quite a good one and that God loves administrators because I didn't think it was uh, spiritual enough or holy enough. 
But um, my ability to manage multiple tasks and get things done is a blessing to make things run smoother. And so I've come to a position and a point in my life now where I know that God thinks administrators are cool. <laughs> so I just wanted to really encourage you to embrace the giftings and embrace the callings that God's given you because they're really important and they're really key to building the kingdom of God. Um, yeah, I'd love to, is it okay if I pray? Do you want to pray? Can I pray for everyone? Is that all right? Can I ask you guys to stand? Heavenly Father, I thank you that you know each and every single one of us inside and out. I thank you that you have placed callings and giftings on every single one of us. Father, I thank you that every single one of us are incredibly unique and incredibly important in building the kingdom. And although we're not building something physical that people can see, we're building something eternal. And Father, I really pray that you'll give us the boldness, if it's needed, to walk in the things that you've called us to. I pray you give us the courage to make any changes that we might need to make so that we position ourselves for you. Father, I pray that you'll help us to be brave if we need to talk to somebody or change something. Lord, I pray that you'll